slasher spree Where mysteries and terror be And darkness comes for you and me Join us on a slasher spree There's no place to hide And soon you'll see Siblings on a slasher spree And the siblings are back Your ear holes are welcome their ear holes better be thankful after all this mouth hole work we're about to do. Oh. <laughs> well, not, not what I meant, but that was worded terribly. Well, yeah, let's say that you never say mouth hole work ever again. Okay, that's fine. Today, we'll be exploring the multifaceted history Ooh. of... Drumroll, please. <laughs> Taxidermy. <laughs> uh, from its early beginnings to its modern applications. But what is taxidermy? Some of our listeners may be asking themselves. Well, taxidermy is the art and science of preserving and mounting animal specimens for display. And it has a rich and diverse history that spans centuries. Whoa. <laughs> originating from uh, practical pursuits such as uh, scientific study and trophy preservation mm -hmm. taxidermy has evolved into a unique art form of art cultural practice and scientific endeavor hmm. the origins of taxidermy can be traced back to ancient civilizations where rudimentary methods of preserving animal remains served various practical religious and scientific purposes hmm. first we'll explore the early practices of taxidermy before the 18th century uh, shedding light on the ancient techniques that laid the foundation for the evolution of this really unique craft yeah, so cool. One of the earliest instances of animal preservation can be observed in ancient Egypt. Egyptians practiced a form of taxidermy by mummifying sacred animals such as cats, birds, and even crocodiles. Crocodiles are big. I know. That'd be work. A big camp. <laughs> These uh, mummified creatures were often associated with deities and used in mm. religious rituals. The meticulous process involved removing internal organs, treating the body with preservatives, and then wrapping it in linen bandages. And that sounds mm. kind of nice. <laughs> sounds like a like, spot. Uh, <laughs> in ancient Greece and Rome, animal specimens were preserved for both scientific study and decorative purposes. Mm. Uh Aristotelian zoology, uh, for instance, so I guess this is like a, a study, yes. like a thing that you take in school. Um, so that study or topic, I guess, required the examination well, person. of- Say what? What? <laughs> well, Aristotle was a person. So Aristotle Aristotelian zoology is like his oh. take on zoology, I think. See, explained. Perfect. Uh, so this required the examination of animal anatomy, leading to the development of basic taxidermy methods. Uh, additionally, Romans created lifelike replicas of animals for display in gardens and private residences. Mm, yeah. Ancient Chinese civilizations also engaged in early taxidermy practices. Some Chinese tombs from the Han Dynasty, which was 206 BCE to 220 CE, Ooh. contained small sculptures of domesticated animals reflecting an early form of artistic preservation. 
These artifacts served as companions to the deceased in the afterlife. During the Middle Ages, the practice of taxidermy was intertwined with religious traditions. Relics of saints, often animal bones or body parts, were preserved and displayed in churches and religious institutions. Mm. The idolization of these relics contributed to the development of technique. Tech. Ooh, I am getting so tongue-tied today. La, la, I just, la, la, la. so quick note to our listeners, I just recorded all of Leo's, like, voicemail things. Oh, yes. My voice is in, like, high demand right now. I'm going to do a hair flip that you can't see. I wear my hair. Uh, <laughs> let's get back to business. <laughs> the idolization of these relics contributed to the development of techniques. Oh, I almost did it again. For preserving both human <laughs> and animal remains. Yeah. Uh, in the Islamic Golden Age, which was the 8th to 14th centuries, Eighth scholars. Century. That's so I know. Long can ago? you imagine? Ooh. So long ago. Nope. Right? They didn't have no podcasts. They did not. They did not. I wonder what they thought. You know what? We're going to go off. To We're going to go down a rabbit hole here. Yeah, that's fair. The yeah. Um, so scholars in yeah. the Arab world made significant contributions to the fields of medicine, biology, and zoology. The translation of ancient Greek texts, including works by Aristotle, led mm -hmm. to an increased interest in the study of animals. While not taxidermy in the modern sense, these pursuits laid the groundwork for a scientific understanding of the natural world. Many indigenous cultures around the world practiced a form of taxidermy through the creation of effigies and ceremonial displays using animal parts. Ooh. These practices were often deeply intertwined with spiritual beliefs and served as a means of honoring and commemorating animals within the cultural context. So quick little side note here. I haven't even yeah. told you this yet because um, I wanted to Google it. Uh, my eyebrow girl, mm -hmm. we're, we're going not way off um my eyebrow uh woman is indigenous and so i've gone twice now i had like not microblading it's like a shadow i don't remember exactly what it's called but so she takes like super up close like before and after so that she can like share on her like social media or whatever okay right? okay yeah um and so i went back for the second time like to have my touch-up done um last week and she's like she always just seems to like take a long time like getting the right picture and I'm like, okay whatever not a big deal so she's like going and going and all of a sudden she's like um are you indigenous by any chance and i'm like oh no she's like are you religious like do you believe in in anything and i'm like also, I no. <laughs> don't think so <laughs> like, i'm like but i always like i find it interesting what other people sure you know and she's like oh i'm indigenous and she went into like a bit over like um like what tribe she originates from and location and all that stuff oh, cool. um and uh she's like yeah she's like i thought the first time was just my camera she's like but it's happening again and you have like apparently this aura and oh. she's like it's something very special and very unique she's like my camera will never completely focus when i'm trying to like take these pictures she's oh, like i could like talk more about it but she's like i don't like if you don't really believe in anything and i'm like well it's still kind of cool if you want to say nice things to me and tell me i'm special then <laughs> I'm say. um but yeah so i thought that was yeah apparently i have like this like 
special thing. I'm special. I mean, that makes it hard to take pictures of my eyebrows. (laughs) That's a very niche market you have there. Uh, And I'm sure you felt compelled to leave a good tip after that too, but. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I I don't know. I thought it was kind of cool. That's really cute. Yeah. We should have her on. I'd love to hear it. (laughs) All right. Well, circling back. <laughs> I guess you know, I, I will say eyebrows are kind of like taxidermy for the face, right? I mean, she's not stuffing anything inside of my eyebrows, nor is she removing anything from my brain. Brain. Well, no, but like loose, loose. Preserving? Loose transitional. Nah, I think we should just move on. All right, let's move on. Early taxidermy practices were diverse and rooted in the practical, religious, and scientific needs of ancient civilizations. From the mummification rituals of ancient Egypt to the decorative displays of ancient Rome, these early techniques set the stage for the more sophisticated taxidermy methods that would emerge in the centuries to come. So let's move on to the rise of naturalism, which covers the 18th to 19th century. Ooh, we're getting there. We're getting Mm. there. The 18th and 19th century witnessed the emergence of natural history as a scientific discipline, spurring interest in the accurate representation of animals for study and education. Taxidermy gained prominence. Um, I was thinking, did I say taxidermy funny there? I don't think so. No? Okay, we'll just keep going. Taxidermy gained uh, prominence as a means of preserving specimens for museums and private collections. Pioneering taxidermists like William Bullock and John Hancock contributed to the development of more refined techniques, marking the transition from simple skin stretching to anatomically accurate mounts. That's cool. That's quite Mm -hmm. the jump, too. Mm, yeah because i i googled what skin stretching was because i was like what what do they mean by simple skin stretching <laughs> you know that <laughs> simple skin stretching <laughs> <laughs> so i had to googs and apparently what they used to do is using like rope and string they would stretch the skin to like a wood border oh. like a door frame type of thing and they okay. would stretch it and make pelts and rugs oh so and... they weren't making it look like the, the yeah it was more so of like like the bear using rug. yeah like using the oh, materials right. as opposed to recreating the animal in it that makes sense yeah essence. yeah uh the Enlightenment period, Ooh. characterized by a pursuit of knowledge and reason, laid the intellectual groundwork for the rise of naturalism in taxidermy. Natural history emerged as a scientific discipline, emphasizing the systematic study and classification of the natural world. Taxidermy became an essential tool for preserving and studying animal specimens, contributing to the growing fascination with the diversity of life on Earth. During the 18th century, taxidermy increasingly became a crucial aspect of scientific exploration. Naturalists and collectors sought to document and study the fauna of distant lands, necessitating methods for preserving specimens for both transportation and study. Early taxidermists developed techniques for preserving and mounting animal skins, making a departure from crude crude methods of the past 
It doesn't. It wouldn't be nice. I don't like it. It's also marking a departure from. Oopsie. <laughs> Uh, the late 18th and early 19th centuries witnessed significant advancements. Why did I? Why can't I say this word? Advancements. Advancements. Advancements, advancements in taxidermy techniques, particularly in the mounting of specimens. Taxidermists began experimenting with internal frameworks, wire armatures, Ooh. and clay to achieve more lifelike poses and anatomical oh. accuracy. Mm-hmm. This departure from static and unnatural poses contributed to the development of naturalistic dioramas, which, Ooh. okay, I'm here for, but I do have to say that I enjoy the unnatural fucked up oh. face poses. Yeah. Like the like lion the at that store. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. I like love the best. that lion. He is precious. Like just so perfectly imperfect. Yeah. Well, bad taxidermy is like a whole market in itself. It right? is. And it's so good. Yeah. It's so yeah. good. Anyway. Uh, several key figures played instrumental roles in the rise of naturalism in taxidermy. As mentioned before, one such figure was William Bullock. A taxidermist and natural history entrepreneur known for his lifelike dollaramas. That's a store. (laughs) (laughs) Known for his lifelike dioramas and exhibits. John Hancock, another influential taxidermist, focused on the anatomical accuracy of his mounts, setting new standards for realism. That's so cool. Imagine just being like, I'm the best at this and being at like competitions for so, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) like being good at anything no i can't can't fathom (laughs) (laughs) oh so okay so as the demand for skilled taxidermist increased workshops and schools dedicated to the art of taxidermy began to emerge these institutions provided aspiring taxidermists with formal training in anatomical study sculpting and mounting techniques Taxidermy became a respected profession, attracting practitioners with a combination of artistic sensibility and scientific rigor. <laughs> rigor. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the Victorian era saw a peak in the popularity of taxidermy. Explorers and naturalists returned from distant lands with exotic <laughs> specimens, fueling a craze for collecting and displaying mounted animals. Innovators like Carl Achille uh, introduced dynamic and immersive dioramas that aimed to replicate natural habitats, contributing to the artistry and naturalism of taxidermy during this period. Mm-hmm. And then the principles of naturalism established during the 18th and 19th centuries continue to influence modern taxidermy. Mm. Today's practitioners draw inspiration from the anatomical precision artistic expression and scientific accuracy championed by their predecessors so cool the legacy of naturalism persists in contemporary taxidermy as artists explore innovative materials ethic considerations because it's important and new Mm -hmm. approaches to capture the essence of the natural world the 19th and 20th centuries marked a transformative period in the field of taxidermy. As natural history gained prominence, taxidermists sought to refine their techniques, like like you mentioned, moving beyond the basic methods of mm. earlier 
centuries. Uh, here are some examples of this refinement stage. Ooh, okay. So the introduction of glass eyes in the late Ooh. 19th century replaced traditional methods of painting eyes directly onto the specimen. That's oh. a choice. Sort of like eyeshadow? Like if you like paint an eye on your eyelid? That's what I think. They would like pin the, the lids down and then paint, and then paint. an oh, eye over the skin. Fine. Right? I'm very scary. <laughs> <laughs> so the glass eyes basically enhanced the mm -hmm. lifelike appearance of mounted animals contributing to the overall realism of taxidermy itself. In the mid-20th century, foam injection became a popular method for creating lightweight and durable forms. Mm. Uh, this technique allowed for mass production of taxidermy mounts and contributed to their accessibility in educational institutions and museums. I'm sorry, but who mass produces taxidermy? <laughs> There's definitely, there's probably competing companies that own the taxidermy. Like I, market. I can't, I can't picture like a, like a plant, not a plant, but like a factory, <laughs> like of just like mounts. I mean, yeah, they got to be made in access somewhere. Well, all right. Or the companies make these modern materials such as epoxy ah. resins, polyurethane foams <laughs> and synthetic fur have further expanded the possibilities mm. for taxidermists these materials provide durability ease of use and lifelike textures allowing for greater precision in recreating animal appearances in the latter part of the 20th century and into the 21st century, taxidermy experienced a resurgence as artists began to explore the craft for its artistic potential. Ooh. Taxidermists like Polly Morgan and Damien Hirst utilized unconventional materials and techniques to create provocative Aww. and conceptual work conceptual uh pushing the boundaries of traditional taxidermy even further Ooh, push it all the way push it good that's what i was saying push it real good Oh, God. Okay. Prominent taxidermists like Carl Ackley and Roland Ward played pivotal roles in elevating taxidermy to an art form. Hmm. Ackley, in particular, revolutionized the field with his innovative sculpting techniques and immersive dioramas, setting new standards for naturalistic representation. Taxidermy became a sought-after skill with practitioners catering to museums, zoos, and private collectors like ourselves. <laughs> this golden age produced several pioneering taxidermists who revolutionized the field. Carl Ackley, as we keep mentioning, was often considered the father of modern taxidermy and played a pivotal role. His innovative techniques included using sculpted forms and clay to accurately replicate animal anatomy. Ooh. Ackley's work went beyond mere preservation. It aimed to capture the essence of the animal in its natural habitat. Uh, Roland Ward, based in London, also made significant contributions, developing methods for preserving animal trophies and creating lifelike dioramas. Yeah, this animal era... trophies, all I, sorry, the animal, oh. all I can think of is like a poor little lion. 
just, oh, but like, what? I don't know. At what like stage or do we feel bad about it? I don't like if I mean if the lion dies naturally. Yes. Then yeah, but I mean for you to go out and hunt a lion and I don't know. Yeah, I I'm kind of on the fence about like that too. It. Same with like I the, don't love the, it. Do like the heads of the of the bucks. Like the, yeah you know nah. yeah nah. i don't know i don't know yeah i guess it's another topic it is <laughs> don't remember where we were oh we're, we're talking about this era that saw a shift oh and shift it did the, right the shifty era from <laughs> traditional taxidermy displays to immersive dioramas or dollaramas <laughs> dollaramas <laughs> <laughs> if Dollarama had a theme song, this would be it. Yeah. <laughs> like that this would be the part to That's the commercial. The yeah. <laughs> I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> so artists began arranging taxidermied specimens in meticulously crafted environments, creating scenes that mirrored the natural habitats of the animals, which is cool. These dioramas aim not only to educate, but also to evoke a sense of wonder and Ooh. appreciation for the beauty of nature. I so get it. whimsical. Right? So the so the lion is like frolicking in the grass or like... Yeah, that's what it was doing before it was shot and killed and then stuffed. Yeah, but now it's doing it for eternity. Mm, no. We've get, you gave it eternal life in the form no. of art. Or you... No. No. No, well, you. I'll tell you this. Ackley's African Hall at the American Museum of Natural History mm. and the work of James L. Clark are exemplary of this trend. Did mm. you know that? Okay. Now I do. The <laughs> mid-20th century then witnessed a decline in taxidermy's popularity, particularly due to... Oh, change <laughs> due to changing attitudes towards trophy hunting and the emergence of alternative preservation methods mm, see here you go however uh taxidermy experienced a resurgence well, in the late 20th century <laughs> revving back up uh, as artists and enthusiasts began embracing it as a form of contemporary art this period saw a shift towards artistic expression, which practitioners experimenting with unconventional materials and conceptual approaches. So this was driven by a shift in perception from a utilitarian craft to a form of contemporary art. Artists and enthusiasts began to explore taxidermy as a medium for artistic expression rather than merely a means of preserving animal specimens. This shift marked the emergence of a new generation of taxidermists who embraced unconventional materials, conceptual themes, and innovative techniques. This resurgence has seen practitioners incorporating diverse materials such as mixed media, found objects, and synthetic elements into their work. Mm. Artists use taxidermy to explore themes of environmentalism, hunimal, which is kind of hunimal human animal relationships and the intersection of nature and culture 
This contemporary approach has expanded the boundaries of taxidermy as an art form, attracting a new audience and challenging traditional perceptions. Mm -hmm. So, as you mentioned, ethical Mm -hmm. considerations and sustainability have become central to this discourse. Contemporary taxidermists are increasingly conscious of the ethical sourcing of animal specimens, opting for sustainable and humane practices. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. ethical awareness aligns with broader societal concerns regarding conservation and the responsible treatment of animals, which is super important. Yes. And as much as we love our taxidermy, it is incredibly important to us that these items are obtained responsibly. Hurting animals, like it's a hunting thing in any form, is not cool and should never be considered as a source for materials. Uh, Dead raccoons that we find on the side of the road. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Up for grabs. (laughs) Yes. From its ancient origins to its modern day applications, taxidermy has undergone a fascinating evolution. What began as a practical endeavor for preserving specimens has transformed into a dynamic and multifaceted art form, reflecting shifts in scientific understanding, cultural values, and ethical considerations. As taxidermy continues to adapt to contemporary contexts, it remains a testament to humanity's complex relationship with the natural world. So, I think it's time we talk about what pieces of taxidermy that we have in our collection. Well, it is. Kristen, please tell our (laughs) listeners what you currently have. Okay, let's do it. So... (laughs) I'm trying to think. Are we including like skeletal, like constructed? I guess not. Mm-hmm. That's kind of that's different. Yeah, I'm going to say that's different. Okay. Okay. So let's just go real old fashioned taxidermy. Okay. Uh, I have a two headed ducky, which is oh, so very cute. cute. I have a crow. Mm. Uh, I have a bat. And, oh, probably one of my, well, the two-headed duck is really cute, but I also have a um, mouse that is dressed as a ballerina. Oh, that is also really cute. (laughs) What about you, Randall? I also have to say, I don't know about the bat. Because Mm -hmm. is a bat taxidermied or is it just dried? Dry? Because I thought, like, because they're, are they scooping, are they scooping it out? And then, Mm. like, I don't think so, right? Like, I guess it depends on how big the bat is. Although your bat is, like, in a frame, right? Isn't it? No, no? it it hangs. It hangs by its toesies. Oh, yeah. Okay. See, yeah, I have one like that, too, but I didn't know if it counted. Mm. We can put it somewhere in the middle. Or or maybe you're, I don't know. Yeah, somewhere in the middle. I don't know. Um, but yeah, you obviously have me beat because while I have a number of wet and dried specimens, I don't have any actual taxidermy. Shame. <laughs> Need that big shame bell. Shame. 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 That's embarrassing for you. I know, but shush. In my defense, that shiz is hella expensive, and my city living apartment square footage keeps my options limited. I do, however, have my eye on a set of ravens to perch on top of my two oddity cabinets. Mm. I think that would look super cool, and uh, I may have to settle for a set of crows, though. 
Yeah, because I don't. So, what is the difference between a crow and a raven? <laughs> Are you setting up a joke, or is that a legitimate question? Uh, no, it is a question. Oh, okay. So ravens differ from crows in appearance by their larger bill, their tail shape, and flight pattern, and by their large size. So ravens are as big as red-tailed hawks, and crows are about the size of pigeons. Uh, The raven is all black, obvi. Uh, It has like a three to four foot wingspan and is around like 24 to 27 inches from head to tail. The crow is also black, as we know, uh, mm-hmm. but it only has a two and a half foot wingspan and it's only about 17 inches long. It's like half. Uh, and then the raven weighs like around 40 ounces and the crow is like 20 ounces. And this is why I'll probably settle for a set of crows because they're more common in the area and they do cost less. So, What fascinating bird information. <laughs> Like now I know why you typed that. Oh, please tell me what's the difference between a crow and a raven so that you can sound all smart like you know about birds. Well, that, obviously. And I thought our listeners would be genuinely curious yeah. what the difference was because I didn't know. I ha- yeah, I knew they were different, but I you're right. I didn't know why. Correct. Uh, I knew I they were different. And if I saw one, I wouldn't be able to tell you why it was one other than the other. Right. Right. And if I'm not mistaking something maybe we should have Googled um, ahead of time, I'm almost certain that ravens are illegal to own. Oh. I think that's why you find crows more readily available. I don't yeah, think that could be too. Maybe they're raven. maybe they're like a part of the an endangered. Like, yeah, that yeah. could be. I mean, not that. Yeah, but I swear. How do you remember approximately how much was the crow that you bought? But it was also part of like the display too, right? So you it had, like, yeah, like perches on like a like a wooden skull thing. Um, I want to say, I'm pretty sure it was like four fifty. Oh shit! Okay, because I was gonna say the ones that. Uh, the curiosity store in Hamilton that we've talked about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they, ha- they have a pair there that I really like, but they're, they were marked, I think at like 400 bucks a piece. Yeah. I mean, but I didn't, I right. still now can't confirm if it was a Raven or a crow. I don't remember if it's a Raven buy it. Yeah, true. But I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure you can't, um, you can't own Ravens legally. Interesting. But, yeah. I will definitely be Googling that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, yeah. Thank you. Google for that bird information mm-hmm. um but what about you like is there anything that you want that you don't have yet not specifically no um all the but i mean all the items that i do have i just kind of happened to see and i really liked them mm-hmm. i didn't necessarily seek them out yeah um i am though recalling um and was like when we were talking about uh, the animals being posed in like proper animal poses yes Um, i'm pretty sure when we were at the expo in buffalo buffalo weed (laughs) (laughs) couldn't get through an episode without an air horn no um that there was that it was like a raccoon i think it was like a really cute raccoon and he was like eating like a box of m&ms oh my god yes he was so cute um i really did want him 
Yeah, he was really cute. That entire raccoon display they had going oh on was God, they had so amazing. Many. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember the ones they had in like the canoe and there was like two of them like oh, yeah. they're like so fishing cute. gear. Oh my god, it was so cute. Oh, it was precious. Yeah. Uh, so cute. So yeah, I guess a raccoon yeah. is on my list now too. <laughs> so as the coffin closes on our episode today, we'd like you to think about where you stand on this topic. Yeah. Like are you fascinated? Offended? Bored? Disgusted? Do you have a collection you'd like to share with us? Ooh. Did you stumble upon a weird raccoon posed eating snacks and watching TV in your grandfather's <laughs> attic and want to find it a good home? Reach out and let us know. Can you imagine? Like, I, I just don't, because you always read that these things happen to people all the time and they never happen to us. A friend, a, a girl at work, she sent me this post and it was an Instagram reel of like, oh, renovating my house in the attic, found these two human skulls. Come on. Uh, I never, I have never stumbled never. upon. Never. Anyways. Why? This has been Kristen. And Randy. <laughs> slashing our way into your hearts. And nightmares. Happy haunting. Bye, witches. Bye.